Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, you're listening to Burnout, a podcast featuring short conversations about creative sustainability with working artists from Toronto and beyond. I'm Anupa Mystery. Some still don't know what to do. Some still don't know what to do. Some still don't know what to do. Don't be. Coming at you live and direct from underneath a blanket in my bedroom, recording onto my iPhone because I don't have my own recording gear. And these are these are the times that we're in. I'm really excited about this week's episode because I think it'll transport you to a familiar context, but in a different place. In this episode, I'm speaking with Backwash and our conversation took place at the very first live podcast recording of Burnout at long winter in late February. It was hosted at the fantastic mental health organization, Workman Arts, here in downtown Toronto. You'll hear my introduction to Backwash in the episode, but I just wanted to kind of give a little bit of a footnote because I like doing these preambles and I just listened back to the recording and I just wanted to add some stuff, which is that in addition to a really long conversation about her rap influences, which was really fun as well as what it means for her to find her voice as a trans rapper, we really also get into what it means to reclaim another part of her identity, which is connecting with the witchcraft and traditional healing and mythology of her tribal roots. Um, In Canada, we often talk about indigeneity and colonialism with respect to the original peoples of this continent. So it was really fascinating to talk about that in the context of Zambia and British colonization, but also the cultural imperialism of America through hip-hop and also through religion. It's a really amazing conversation and Backwash is an amazing artist. I hope you're taking care and I hope you enjoy this episode. Amazing name. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Where does that come from? Um, I think it was like, one aspect of it was like, if I had like a punk band, I would name it something like Backwash, you know, because you know how punk names are. It's like, handlebar or like you know it's like strobe light you know stuff like that and I was like oh that'd be a cool name if it was a punk band and um I also thought it would make like you know like cis people uncomfortable or like straight people uncomfortable because uh, if I put the name there it's like oh who's coming up um backwash you know and I've got that look before like backwash like, okay and it's like all right yeah perfect and I like that feeling and it just like stuck and I kind of developed it over the years. I put like an X in there. There's actually like another backwash with an X in there as well. And they're a punk band, so I wasn't that far off. 
I was very fortunate to get to chat with my guests on the phone a couple of weeks ago, and so I am happy to at least introduce you by saying that she is a treat. Um, <laughs> Backwash is a, a rapper and a producer originally from Zambia and currently based in Montreal. Her music is loud and vital and filled with humor and furor, which is the very specific result, I think, of growing up obsessed with Missy Elliott and Afura, Papoose, and Black Flag. I knew you would like that one. <laughs> Since 2017, she's put out three releases, including 2018's uh, Black Sailor Moon, which is a rage-filled I'm quote, this is a quote from your band camp, which is a rage-filled approach to religion, gender, sexuality, and witchcraft, and her most recent record, Deviancy, which came out on Virginia's Grimalkin Records. She's performing here later tonight at 1.30, so stick around for her set. So I'm excited to, to welcome Backwash to Burnout. Please give her a round of applause. Thank you. Uh, I'm Backwash. I'm a witch rapper, uh, trans rapper, and I like to make music. When colonizers first came to like Africa, they called everything witchcraft, even though they like different traditional practices. So I think anything that like embraces my traditional practices and kind of brings it in the music is what I would call like a witch rapper. What tribe is your family from in Zambia? Um, what is now known as Zambia? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Tumbuka. So um, a, a lot of it, I try to also bring it out in the music and collecting like uh, chants that we have from the Tumbuka tribe and just using them as samples and splicing them in the music as well. And um, I feel like that's also another way of like honoring ancestors. In what are the chants, like what is like the defining, I guess, characteristic of, of those chants? Um, very repetitive, that's for sure, and uh, kind of hard to work with because most of them are spliced with drums, and it's like cause a lot of noise if you just want the chant itself. Um, I feel like it's more like a historical characteristic. It's kind of like taking you back to the day before you know all of the bullshit happened, and it's kind of like this is still continuing, and this is kind of like a splice in time to what they were doing and what it was formed and kind of like reusing that in, in the modern context. Uh, what city uh, in Zambia are you from? Uh, Lusaka. So the capital city. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This footnote of your like entry into music is Mo Money, Mo Problems by Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. was like your yeah. thing. That was my jam. Um, I, I, before that, I was like into like slow R&B. I thought I was going to be like an R&B singer. Look at how that changed. Then um, I, I saw like more money, more problems. And I was kind of confused because it's like, oh, they're not singing. They're not melodic. It just sounds like they're talking on a song. So I asked my sister, like, what is this? You know, it's like, what, what is happening? And she's like, oh, that's like rap. That's like hip hop. And it's like, how do you do it? And she's just like, you rhyme. That's what she told me. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I tried writing a rhyme, and it was, like, terrible. It was, like, just, like, awful. And um, from, from that, the interest just started developing into, like, being exposed into, like, a whole different realm and culture of how, like, people are. I think they used to call me a Yo Bali. That's, like, a... <laughs> a 
derogatory term for somebody who's like really into hip hop and into the culture. It's like, oh, you're actually sagging your pants, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Can you repeat that? What is it? Say that uh, term again. Your Bali. Your Bali. That's what Zambians call like somebody who's really into uh, like hip hop, and the yo comes from yo. Like you know, when somebody's about to start a rap and it's like yo, that's exactly where it comes from. Why is it derogatory? Because uh, I guess it's a cultural thing. Um, the issue of Africans trying to separate themselves from uh, African Americans. Um, in some spaces, they try to see themselves as two distinct uh, groups, uh, which um, I think at this moment uh, there should be a larger conversation of fighting uh, colonialism and oppression of like the black experience in general. Um, what other artists were you listening to? Your your rap knowledge goes deep. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so when I first because it's, it's a, quite a compelling art. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when I when I when I first uh, started after like find found more money, more problems. Uh, I was into Biggie, but I couldn't really understand at that age what Biggie was talking about. So I moved into like for a brief period. I was into like Eminem. Just for like, because I'm like 11 and 12, and he sounded like a cartoon by that time. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was kind of like, oh, this is like, you know, watching a cartoon. Like, and, and he's also like rapping about like killing his. Yeah, family. yeah. That CD was banned in my house, actually. <laughs> like, I, I think all rap was banned apart from like Tupac. Well, you told me your mom banned you from listening to DMX. Yeah, yeah. I got like, um, the great, the great Depression, and there's a song, Damien 3, where he's talking to the devil. So I got a tape, and I had it in the car with my mom, and I was like, oh, I really need to listen to this, but I don't know how she's going to like feel, because she's like really religious. And um, the song comes on, and I was like, I'll just play it. And, you know, she's like, hey, yo, D, it's my nigga D, what? And it's like, like the devil like talking to DMX, and he's going through like this breakdown, and she's just looking at me like, Oh, this is what you're listening to? Like, it's over. So it's like, <laughs> after, after that, it was like listening to hip hop, like, kind of like discreetly. And, you know, when she hears it in the house, she kind of gives you like a side eye because she just wants you to be listening to like Kirk Franklin or something. But, like, you don't, you don't really want that. Was Kirk Franklin big in, in Lusaka? Oh, gospel was like the biggest like genre you can get in like Lusaka. Like, they make so much money. Like, American gospel. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was like a year. Uh, where I was like obs obsessed with Cassidy and Papoose because I finally found out what a punchline is. And all they do at that time in their mixtapes was just punchlines. And that's all I wanted to hear. It was just like the worst. It was just like, oh, I've got this like, I've got five Papoose mi mixtapes. I was like, I don't need five Papoose mixtapes. If you've got one, that's enough. Like he rapped the alphabet that one time. It was... It was it was ridiculous. It was like, then I met this older guy. He was like, no, you know, hip-hop is all about knowledge and, like, you know, your third eye. You need to listen to some real shit. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to, like, impress this knowledgeable older hip-hop dude. And he brought me, like, Cappadonna, Afura, um, just, like, deep, deep, like, you know, hip-hop, um, diabolic, just, like, underground, like, wild shit. And I'm, I'm, I just remember, like, sitting there, listening to Cappadonna rap, and I'm like, I don't understand anything that this man is talking about. 
Then there's Afura, who mixes martial arts with like hip hop, trying to bring like the two worlds together. And I also don't understand what he's saying. I'm like 13 years old, and this like 17 year old dude is like bumping his head, like this is the real shit. I'm like, I, I don't understand, but I'll bump my head as well because I want to impress this like person. And there were all those like uh, women rappers that I was really into, like Missy Elliott. I never like skip any of her discs. Uh, Brat, all this so dope. Um, Heather B. I was also, also like producing, and um, Kanye West was really big into like the rapper slash producer at that time, and um, that put me onto Chipsaw, and I liked how they flipped the samples and stuff. I was the quintessential like backpack, like hip hop head, <laughs> like uh, beanie to the side, and just like. I might as well get like hip hop tattooed like on my chest. That was like that. Boy, I will put the roots up on you. Don't wanna go too hard on you. I promise that. My mama told me I should loose up on you. Don't make me wanna do it on you. I promise I'm the most mischievous witch bitch that you ever seen. All my enemies in the deep, no nigga spleen. Fuck a referee ending them with telepathy. Fuck them, let them be all the men who be dead of me. I saw a bitch with some nails in the back, so we and how did you transition from being a fan into starting to make music? Um, while I was listening to the music, I was also writing. I think I watched like Eight Mile that one time. I know I wanted to do was just like practice my freestyles and like battle people in the middle of the street. It was really embarrassing. Um, I actually took a music class because um, I wanted like almost like gain an upper hand and know what I was doing. But I didn't pay attention. I know I knew it was like two musical scales. So every beat that I made from like 13 to 15 sounded the same. And people like in the block that want, want to rap would come to me because I had like the computer and I would like produce for them. And it was very, very eventful. And they never paid me, not even once. How did that, like, were you creatively directing them or were people saying, I want this kind of beat, can you make it? My name during that time was um, Punchline, but I spelled it L-Y-N instead of L-I-N. Of course. Creative. Yeah. Um, so uh, they would come to me and they were like, um, yeah, you know, make it all funeral sounding or make it dark or, you know, make whatever you want. And it, it, it was good because you had all of like people from like different experiences um, kind of like rapping in your homemade studio and it was kind of fun some people would rap about getting out of the struggle some of them would rap about you know how they want to how, the, how they want to make money and it's um you know when you're living in poverty those are the kind of stories that you get because people are in the system right uh you had gospel singers as well so when the gospel yeah you were, you were producing gospel music no that would come and i would just plot it for them on like fl studio they would know what they want already because most gospel musicians you meet in Zambia are very musical, so they would know what they want. So when the gospel musicians come, that's when you tell the rappers not to come in that day. <laughs> so just a joke, they don't cross hairs. But... Um, one thing that I think is very fascinating is that you were like, you weren't just like the producer for the neighborhood. You were like the music plug for the yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So you're the person with the computer. Yeah. And the CD burner. Yeah, yeah. I used to sell like pirate copies of like uh, projects. It's like, oh, you can 
you know, buy this Eminem CD for ten dollars, or I can give you the whole discography for like two dollars. And because uh, every because I, I had the CD burner, so like different people would come in and try to like, oh, can you burn this for me on a CD? Uh, can you burn this for me on a CD? So you end up collecting like this giant collection of like uh, music on your computer, which is like. Awesome, because nobody really cares about copyright laws during that time when you can. That was a beautiful time. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. also the CD burner for my group of friends. No, awesome. I'm sure, some of you also were that person. Um, is that how you ended up getting into punk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, this guy um, wanted to burn Black Flag, and that's how I got into like the Saint Law Black Flag, and just like Dead Kennedys as well. They just left it on my. Uh, computer and I got into the genre more and more and tried to explore like the local scenes as well. Yeah. So what what were the what was the local punk scene like in Lusaka? Um, it was actually pretty pop punky, which is uh, like Blink One Eighty Two stuff. Yeah, yeah, but all made on like cheap drums because we couldn't afford like the expensive drums. There was this group called Ghetto Link, and they were like, they're they're awesome. They have like DUI, like people talk about DUI here. They were like really DUI. They're just like green screen, like you can see like the curtain falling from the side. It was <laughs> incredible. They had they had one song where they were talking about how this song doesn't have a chorus, and that was the chorus, and I was like, that's punk. <laughs> that's punk. From here, you moved to Canada to study computer science. Yeah. It made sense after because I was like, oh, you're the person with the computer. Like, okay, yeah. yeah like, it's like, how did that transition happen? Uh, it, was, um, it was a weird time because uh, before I like, left for Canada, uh, I was coming to meet my brother and my sister. Um, I think my auntie kind of like, took me to the side and said, this is like a big opportunity. So you should stop like, all that music bullshit. And I was like, oh, all right. So this kind of, it was kind of like burned into like the back of my mind whenever like I wanted to make something. So I stopped making music for a while, seriously. Then um, I, I, when I decided to move to Montreal, I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a try again. And I think it couldn't have come at like a better time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Why did you decide to move to Montreal? Because um, I was in like a rural-ass town in BC and um, nothing just like changed there and I couldn't like freely express myself the way I wanted to. And um, one day I was just like feeling so depressed. I was just like, I'm just going to get a one-way ticket to like Montreal. And when I landed, I was like, maybe I'll give this rapping thing a try again. There's this place that has like jam sessions slash ciphers and I went there. I love that you got off the plane <laughs> from Montreal and you went straight to like a battle rap. Like you went to a rap battle. <laughs> That's yes, hip hop. <laughs> this is where I needed to go. There was a battle rap scene in, in Lusaka as well. Uh, the battle rap scene in Lusaka is you show up, you freestyle, and you like kind of like trade insults. And um, 
there's another type of battle where people are in a cipher and you're just kind of trying to outdo other people with the better verse. Um, and that's how it, it was like in Montreal. You're just trying to outdo people with like the better verse. Um, I got approached by this person who runs like a battle rap league in Montreal and they're like, yeah, like if you go like one-on-one with like this cat, I think you'd be like, you'd do good. And I was like, I'm going to show up in like a dress and a wig and this guy is just going to like call me like slurs the whole time. I'm like, no, I'm okay. So at this point, you were already starting to transition. Yes. But you weren't going to these rap battles in a dress and a wig, as you said. Yeah, no. The closest I ever went to was uh, I just had braids on. And that was like as far as uh, as I went. But I did try this one time. And I got like harassed on the street by like these like five dudes. And I just like made a U-turn. But um, now I'm, I guess, as, as, I, as I left like the cypher uh, space and I started like performing at other places and, you know, performing around. Now I just show up because I'm, I'm more comfortable in that space, even though, like, some bad things have happened in the space. Deuteronomy 22, chapter 5, says, A man shall not wear woman's clothes. I'm reading this with a dress on. I'm kind of like Jesus. I'm Teflon. I'm a blonde and a major, the God transgender. And if any man of the Lord tries to use violence to challenge me, I swear to the gay gods that watch over me that I will eat your face. I am not terrified by your diatribes and exorcisms because any attempts will allow me to stare at your God in his face and tell him that he's not welcome here. Maybe now would be a good time to describe what your music sounds like. Uh, it's very... Um, uses a lot of samples. Uh, I, I like to use a lot of samples because I think samples tell stories. Um, shout out to DJ Shadow. Um, then um, it's got it's got a, in, in the delivery it's got like a punk influence to it. I try to use as much of an aggressive tone, which is interesting because I really hated my voice like ever since I like started making music, and I only reached now that I'm kind of comfortable with it because I know how to make it sound a bit raspy, which is fine to me. Um, and uh, it's got like traditional hip hop roots, a lot of 808s. And just blending in, I guess, different styles that I find interesting. And to me, I feel like I can hear the DMX influence. Yeah, yeah, that like, too. There's like a spiritual element to that it. That too. Right? I can hear my mom shouting all the way from Zambia. <laughs> you were producing. Um, you kind of come around to this battle rap scene in Montreal. You're experiencing, I guess, like masculinity like on full display. Um, why why were you still drawn to rapping as like the way that you wanted to express yourself in music? Uh, I think the genre is like extremely rebellious by nature. When NWA came out and they were like saying fuck the police and how people in disarray just hearing that is is kind of like awesome because like you have like these weird songs with like all these weird samples and just drums on top of them and they're there, like, you know, it's out in, like, this whole establishment while, like, you know, white people are scared. And I think that's, like, really dope, just, like, how you can create something like that. And I can't sing, so. 
Yeah, I mean, that is definitely something that's, like, in your music. Except instead of fuck the police, it's, like, fuck cis men. Patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's, like, literally, like, a like a line from one of your songs. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. um, which is, it's cool. Um, when people talk about finding your voice, it's often in a very... Um, not abstract way, but like in a way that's like finding what I want to say, but maybe for you it's a little bit of that, but I think it's also like literally your voice, right? Yeah. Um, when I started rapping, um, I remember this one guy telling me like, oh, you need to find your voice. And I could never understand that. And when it made sense for me was when I heard uh, Danny Brown's The Hybrid, which was before like, Triple X, before Atrocity Exhibition, before, like, the Danny Brown voice. And it sounded completely different. I was like, who is this person? Now he's got, like, that distinct Danny Brown voice. They are, like, aliens who can use, like, multiple voices and it always sounds good. Like, Kendrick Lamar has got, like, five different voices that, like, he records with. Nicki Minaj does that, like, so well. It's, like, almost, like, alien-like the way like she switches like cadences and has these outer egos with like different voices. I um, have a complicated relationship with it because I just hate my voice in general. And if you're coming to a point where you're also transitioning, you hate your voice even more. And if you look at like a lot of trans artists, they use like a lot of vocal modulation for their songs. Um, Sophie is like a big example of that. I feel like so many interviews with trans artists, it's, it's always a thing that comes yeah. up. And yeah, yeah. Everyone has different opinions on it. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of like felt the same way, but I didn't want to like use any vocal modulation. So um, when I started... Why? Why didn't you want to use... Why didn't you want to modify your voice? Because um, I was looking at it from like a setup perspective. Uh, if I, I guess, want to set up and perform, um, all I need is just like a laptop and a microphone. And that's, like, really portable. And I just like the rawness of, like, being able to rap on stage with just beats there. Well, we talked a little bit about hip-hop being this, like, inherently kind of masculine performance. And I think, you know, women can embody some of those traits of aggression and uh, bravado and competition. Um, How are you working through that as someone who's also... Um, has a different experience with their gender expression? Um, I think, uh, in general, anger is like an underrated feeling. Um, it's kind of like people stray away from like being angry because it's like, oh, okay, it's kind of bad for your heart. I can get that. Rico Ness has got like one of the angriest voices I've ever heard in my life, right? But the music has got such a feminine energy to it as well. Um, Another aspect is uh, women should have, like, women should be able to be angry. There's a lot of fuck shit going on, so, yeah, why not? You can make music openly here, and we can talk a little bit about, we can kind of circle back to Zambia a little bit, too, but it's just such a different world. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that, just in terms of, you know, your voice being almost like unadorned as it is because where you're from, you can't even speak openly about who you are. It's very different. It's very different to being like such freedoms. Um, I was just thinking like if I had to release like this music back home, I don't think anybody would like 
played. Um, they, I, I, there was like an instance of I think this guy like released like a kind of like a record that uh, people didn't find to be like morally correct, and I think they went after him to like kind of like arrest him. So they didn't find it morally correct. I think there are different freedoms between uh, where I'm from and here, and that's not like to the detriment of the country. I think that's more to like detriment of like the British laws that were kind of like imposed on like everybody when they first came in like 1920s. Um, homosexuality is illegal in Zambia still. Yeah. To this day, and and that extends to I guess any type of LGBTQ rights. Yeah. Essentially, you just have to, like, keep it on the real, real, real down low, uh, just for, like, your own safety. But it's, like, for people who can't escape, like, that's where you're at. And um, if you, you you just have to be, like, real careful. Otherwise, it could get, like, bad for you. Because if you're not going to go to jail, um, somebody's going to try to kill you. And, <clears throat> again, it, it, go, it goes back to, like, when the British first came, that's like one of the laws that they put in there, in like the Northern Rhodesian Constitution, say, um, you know, homosexuality is illegal. And you, you hear about Alan Turing a lot, and it's like the same thing that, the same law that Alan Turing faced, the same law that is there right now in, in, in Zambia. And it's, it's just been like, I feel like with laws, once they're in, it's very, very hard to, like, take them out. And I, and I think that's what's kind of happening right now. Still, there are people fighting for it, of course, but it's just very, very difficult when that has been steeped into the culture, which is surprising because if you go back before that, there were, like, queer tribes all over. So it's just kind of, like, kill that legacy and say, poop, no, that's wrong. Zambia is apparently one of the places in Africa that received the most missionaries. I mean, during colonialism. Yeah. Even, like, people that sponsor hate pastors to come to Zambia and preach. Like, how the Chick-fil-A CEO is paying for, like, all those, like, hateful missionaries to go to Uganda and spread that message. It's, It's kind of like a like on the same realm where you have some of these hate pastors coming in and they feel like they can speak freely because it's okay there because it's in the laws and they just stir up the situations and Zambia is very religious so people are gonna if they if they find out that there's a new you know pastor in town from like Brazil a lot of people are gonna go there so this kind of brings us to the point of your music I think which is that like you know, it's not just about you being able to openly express yourself and and just be who you want to be, but you're also, like, I think, trying to actively decolonize um, through your music. And so that's where the witchcraft comes in. That's where the sampling of these chants comes in. And the queer tribes. I'm sure people want to know about the queer tribes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Decolonization plays, like, a huge part in it. Um, I think more specifically, the last album, Deviancy, Deviancy which was uh, ranked 16th best albums of 2019 on Bandcamp. Yay. But <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like it. I should be able to honor my ancestors. I should be able to like do things that I, 
that I thought was taboo, and that's how like the deviancy title comes into it because it's you know they would call me a deviant for doing like some of these things, but it's I feel like it's trying to express like yourself in like a very radical sense. Since I'm just more connected with my tribe, which is the Tumbuka, it's just calling back to that mm-hmm. and and um, what I was like. Uh, taught not to listen to. You were told not to listen. Yeah, to. yeah. Because I mean, most of the most a lot of the houses back home are Christian houses, and the traditional size stays the traditional style, size and uh, side, and that's like something that you don't do because when the missionaries came, they said, "Oh, these are like evil spirits and stuff." But it's like once you get past that point and you're able to embrace more of that stuff, you can be able to say, "Oh, you know, now that I'm looking at it." The situation is kind of fucked up, and I should be able to embrace this like different parts of my culture and my tradition and who I am, and uh, how I'm connected to it. And what did you learn? Um, who are you? <laughs> That's a hard question. I don't know, but uh, I feel like I have a much better answer than I did uh, three or four years ago. And um, I think in terms of spirituality as well and my perspective on uh, capitalism and just like a lot of uh, leftist um, leanings make sense now when you take it back to like tradition. Because it's... um, One thing was like, you realize that a lot of these places were a lot about, you know, sharing and how people are able to live together in a commune, and it kind of like makes sense to what I believe, what I believe, and you know, wealth inequality, and um, just having those connections and being able to relate to that back is great, you know. What do you believe? What do I believe? I believe in my ancestors. I believe. In honoring them as well, and I think that's like served me right. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with me and with us. And no problem. Please, everyone, say thank you to Backwash. Thank you. You can find Burnout all over the internet. Follow the show. It's available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And while you're there, leave a rating and a review. It really helps people find the show. You can find Burnout on Instagram at Burnout Pod. And if you'd like to read more about my journey to understanding how to stay creative, subscribe to my newsletter. It's at anupa.substack.com. That's A-N-U-P-A dot The theme song for Burnout is by Lal. It's called Dark Beings and original music provided by Jamal Padmore. Thanks so much for listening and take good care. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs>